church, um, it is our privilege to inhabit, to occupy his kingdom. Okay, it is, it is our blessing, it is our inheritance to, to steward, to represent, and in fact, to enjoy all the benefits of his kingdom. Um, and you know, uh, I just want to begin by, by sharing a thought here. Um, I'm convinced without a shadow of a doubt from my intimacy with the Lord that we are headed into a time that um, without intimacy, without tangible interaction with him, um, we're not going to, we are not going to succeed in participating in the mighty callings that he has over you. And I think there's been comfortable seasons in our history where we go along and um, knowing of the Lord, giving, giving assent to our faith, uh, just, just kind of being a Christian in that manner, being a disciple of Jesus in that way um, sufficed. I, I am thoroughly convinced that where the Lord is leading us, well, let me put it this way. The reason the Lord is leading us into deeper places is for this reason. Um, because he knows what we need and he is so delighted. He loves you so much and he wants your participation so much that he is bringing us to deeper places of intimacy with him because we are headed into places where it's going to require that. Okay. A distant blind faith will not be enough to supply the resolve, to supply the needed revelation, to supply the power, uh, the peace required to represent the kingdom and to have all the joy of that privilege. Um, I hope you're moving with me. Um, we're in a series right now. We're, we're, we're talking about the learning curve of how we as disciples of Jesus, the ones that he chose, you're chosen. The ones that he's appointed for good works that he's prepared in advance for you. Do you know he's done that? Somehow, from somewhere, I'm quoting the word of God. I have no idea where. He's prepared in advance for you. Not because you're, you're a pawn or you're one of his workers, but because he wouldn't have it any other way. He wouldn't want to do it without you. You're integral to his love plan. That, that you participate in this privilege of representation. But we're moving into a season in history now where this learning curve of, of um, interacting, relating, having that continuous without ceasing relationship with the presence of God, with Jesus himself, is absolutely critical to his, to his movement and our participation in it. Do you want to be a part of his move? Of course you do, or you wouldn't be here right now. Um, so I just, I praise God that you're here, that, that you're a part of what we're about to do this morning. Um, let me just pray for this time. I want to invite, I know that his presence is here. I'm going to invite anyway. Why? What does that do? That positions my heart to agree with reality. His presence is here. And that says, Lord, I'm, I'm not okay with just kind of, mentally knowing that your presence is here. I want to be participating, joining with you, experiencing your presence right now. So will you join me in that invitation? Father, I thank you that your presence is here. Your presence is in this and you, your presence is love. Your presence delights in us. We agree and we acknowledge that truth 
in the face of, contrary to everything that lies about you, Lord. I ask for tangible presence of your spirit for every listener, for every home, that you are there and that you'd make them aware of it. Will you make us a people that want to jump in with both feet, that want to plunge into your presence, plunge into your movement and what you're doing with abandon in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, this morning, um, I'm going to move into uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, if you want to start turning there. And we are very simply going to move um, through a story, one more encounter. One thing we've been saying in this series is that the way that we're changed, the way we live more in Jesus's kingdom than we do in the kingdom of this world, that's the warfare, right? The more we occupy, more that place is in encounter. Okay? Pray. Study the word of God. Do all the things that position, and that's fine. Position ourselves. But we must recognize that, that, um, that the kingdom of God is the presence of Jesus. So in other words, it is in encounter. It is in interaction with him that we occupy the kingdom that is our inheritance that he wants to give his kingdom. Okay. And so we're, this is one more story of encounter with him after his resurrection, after he defeated death. And it's loaded with so much that, um, I'm literally just going to read through this and I'm going to be sharing with you everything the spirit put on my heart, almost just line for line as we go through. And, and it's so good. So just, um, we're right in verse, um, verse 30 of chapter 20 goes like this. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. I'm realizing I should give you backstory. This is right after in this gospel. What's recorded just before this is two previous encounters. One where Jesus encounters the disciples minus Thomas and then another where he meets the disciples with Thomas there. And this is just next, um, what we're about to read. Okay. And it, the author, the Holy spirit in the, in other words, through John wants us to know that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Why? We've been saying this and saying this because he means for our relationship to be experienceable to be something actually, okay? He's a person, he's our God, he's our king, he's the ruler of this kingdom. He is not a, um, he is not a mere force in the cosmos. <laughs> he's not a neat idea that keeps things together or makes it comfortable for us. He's, he's a wonderful, fearful God, and he means for us to experience him. So verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Now listen, and that believing you may have life in his name. This could be the whole sermon, but I'm going to make it a very quick point. Okay. Jesus identifies in other places, the exact reason he came. 
Okay, and it's his delight in you, but he states specifically that he came that you'd have life and have it more abundant. What we're going to look at today begins with him identifying again that that he does, he has this tangible relationship with us for a very specific purpose. Last week we said purpose was that he wants to be your God. He likes you that much. Here it's that you may have life capital L life. Now let's, let's get something straight. His life is categorically different than what we normally think of his life. How many of you know that? We think we had a life before Jesus and we have life after Jesus. The word of God does not use the word life that way. Life is Jesus. He's the way, the truth and the life. Okay. Um, so this, so this life what the word of God is clear about is that you did not have a life before Jesus. You had death before Jesus and he came to give you life. If you've never meditated on that, um, I recommend it. (laughs) That meditation alone is, is life changing. Okay. So in other words, this life that he came to give is, um, is, is a tangible, is an, an actual kingdom thing that we gain as we move in our journey. Do you understand that Jesus providing life, the fact that he's provided all of it and he withholds none of it, does not mean that you are living in the fullness of that inheritance. You have all of it, but as we, as we read through this, we have to understand that the life of Jesus... That is our inheritance as we have intimacy with him is something that we grow into in our journey. Okay, so this really just sets us up into the narrative. Now, I want to tell you the narrative we're about to read. I, I think you can notice with me that it's, it's kind of different. We, throughout the Gospels, we get narratives. This one reads almost like it's, um, it's a writing assignment from a fifth grader. <laughs> it's it's a very um simply written narrative that is loaded with truth after truth for the spiritual picture of your physical reality. So starting in chapter 21 I'm just going to start reading. It says after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias and in this way, he showed himself. I want to focus on those words. I, I'm going to be doing this all day. It's really what's on my heart. Words that we pass over that, that hold the keys of the kingdom. I want you to notice this. It starts by saying Jesus showed himself. Okay. But then it gives this most curious emphasis. It says, and in this way, he showed himself. In other words, what does that tell us? That tells us that There is not one way that he shows himself. I mean, first it shows his heart that he's, he's delighted in us. He has such a love over us that he shows himself. It is his desire to show himself. How often do we think the opposite? First of all, that, um, it's the exception that he wants to show himself to you. Are you following me? Come on, don't leave me by myself here. You know you think that far too much of the time. His desire is to show himself. And here it says, and in this way, he showed himself. In other words, he has ways. He has various ways. The risen Christ that occupies the spiritual realm that is that is over and in and actually is his kingdom shows himself in ways. We're going to read about one way this morning. 
And it's important to, to recognize that. Verse two is gonna identify the, the player, the privileged ones who get to be a part of this moment, this tangible moment in this way. And here they are, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples um, were together. They were gathered like we're gathered right now. Simon Peter said to them, so in other words, it's Peter and six other, six other fellows. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. Do you see how this reads? They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Now here's what you, you got to grab because if you don't relate with these stories like we're reading real things, we'll miss it. It'll go right over. In other words, they are having a very normal moment. This is a very ordinary evening. They're, they're just hanging out. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they're like, we want to go with you. And they go out for a night of fishing. In fact, it's so ordinary that it, it, uh, records for us that they caught nothing. Has anyone gone on a fishing trip and caught nothing? That's what most of my, <laughs> most of my fishing trips are like. And, um, and I, how could that be the redemption? Are you following me? Um, didn't Jesus defeat death? Didn't he, didn't he say the work is finished? So why are we still going fishing and catching nothing? I just want you to notice um, this is very ordinary. They're not having a mountaintop experience. They're not witnessing to crowds. They're not out healing the sick. They're, they're not doing any of these things. They're just living their days exactly like you do. And they decide to go fishing. And that's so important for me to point out because in other words, we're reading a narrative of the presence of Jesus coming into the absolutely ordinary. Are you following me? Goes on and uh, um, let's see. Let's go to, so we, we'll move on to verse four. And here it says, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, I want you to recognize one more thing. We're, we're going somewhere. This is a journey. So keep walking with me. Um, Jesus appears on, on the shore. I want you to notice at this point, he appears at, at a distance. Okay. And they have a recognition issue again. Do you notice? So in other words, um, look, I'm more convinced than ever that our journey as disciples begins with recognition of the presence, recognition of Jesus is right here. He's right here with me or he's right over there. I just saw that. That's Jesus. I have recognition. We never listen to me. We never see stories of his failure to show up. I dare you to try to find the story of Jesus failing to show up. <laughs> They're just not there. But we often see stories of the disciples, of which you are one, disciples that fail to recognize the presence, that fail to say, oh, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus is in this, that tangible presence, that experience of him in this with us. Okay? We see it over and over and over again. I'm convinced that the beginning, the middle and the end of our journey is becoming a people that recognize and, and how do we live in the presence? We recognize, 
the presence is here right now. We're those people. We're people that are convinced of the presence. We're people that evermore, the learning curve is, uh, of his presence is evermore learning to be aware, to recognize his presence in it. Are you following? So he shows up at a distance, and so far they have a recognition problem. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Do you notice how ordinary that is? Do you know that if, if you're only looking for the presence of God in your epic moments, that means you're missing his presence most of the time. I'm your pastor. I'm here to encourage. <laughs> Just kind of take that and let it settle on you. If, if, we do, if we are not aware that he delights in us so much that he is absolutely with us in presence in the most ordinary of things, then we're missing his presence most of the time. And his presence is a terrible thing to give up. <laughs> Now, the significance of this is that this question that he has, how often does he start an encounter with a question? You see it all the time. You see, they're going to feed the multitude, and I believe it's Philip. Um, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's in, in one of the stories, it's Philip. And Jesus says, um, Philip, what do you think we're going to do about this problem? That what do you think? How are we going to feed the people? Okay, and he begins with questions like that. Here he begins with a question, but it's an absolutely ordinary question. Do you have any food? Okay, um, and this, you know, let me say this. If I said, um, and I don't know if you're watching in the morning, if you're watching in the evening, but if I said to you, um, have you had an encounter with Jesus today? How often would your answer be no? And I'm just sensing this, this, um, urge from the Lord to challenge that and to say, are you sure? <laughs> because his, his presence was there. And so if someone asks, have, have you had an encounter? Have you experienced the presence of the Lord today? And our answer is no. I feel like that needs to be challenged. We, instead of just saying no, we need to say, no, I didn't have that tangible experience. I wonder why. <laughs> doesn't it lead to a why question because he does not withhold himself. Okay. Um, let's move on. So, so they answer him. No. And then verse six, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Okay. So what's going on here? Um, Let's do this. So they're out there fishing, and, and hopefully some of you are, are fishermen, or you can relate somehow. There is something that you do, you like to do, or, or your job, or even something that you do where you've experienced the frustration of having no success. And this is what I would do. I would just challenge at this point to relate with them. Remember, we're talking about the presence, the awareness of the presence of God coming into something, an awareness they don't have yet. And... And here, so in other words, here's this person <laughs> from a distance who says, hey, do this. Um, don't do what you've been doing. Do this. Um, and, and, and I would question, I would have you do this with me. Okay. Ask these questions. What is different about the water on the other side of the boat? 
Or what is different about the fish behavior (laughs) or the conditions on the other side of the boat? I hope you'd come up with the answer that there's absolutely no difference, right? There's no difference between the water on one side, the fish on the one side or the other side. What's, What's the difference then? The difference is the presence. It's the only answer that we can give in this story. The difference is the presence of Jesus. And, you know, we might take this um, a step further. I'm, I'm following in my obedience to the Lord. I am, I am asking him to help me make this practical, something that you can take and live, um, something that's not mystical and out there. So let's do that. Um, what is the, the difference? The difference is the presence. What are we already seeing about how they become aware of and live in the presence. In other words, occupy this kingdom because of the presence of Jesus instead of this kingdom of the world because of the lack of that awareness. You following me? So let's take this another step. Um, the difference is, first of all, that Jesus spoke it. Okay? That's the difference. Jesus spoke it. The second thing is, is how did they come into awareness of that difference, of that available kingdom, because the presence of Jesus is there. They became aware of it through obedience. Do you see that? And we're not talking about obedience, um, move across the world to Africa to, um, to be witness to me, or um, obedience, obedience in some grand thing. We're talking about obedience on a fishing trip. <laughs> obedience in the most ordinary is what puts them in tangible contact with the presence of the kingdom, with the presence of Jesus. That is all the difference in all of our existence. The difference in anything is the presence of my Jesus. Are you following? The presence of your Jesus who delights in you. The difference is, and and how do they come in touch with it? I'm just going to say it again because it's so important. Obedience in the ordinary, in the tiniest things, awareness of presence and and obedience. Let me reverse that. What we're seeing here is that obedience to the most ordinary words of God, the smallest prompt in the most ordinary things is what moves us from one kingdom to another, is what makes us aware of a presence that delights, that grants success. They fished all night (laughs) and got nothing. And the words of Jesus, obedience to it, puts them in another realm where success is granted in the most ordinary days of life, in the fishing trip or whatever you do. You see, the kingdom of God works like this. Obey and see. Obey and hear. Obey and understand. Now listen to me. So often I know that there is so much spiritual abuse there's and our pasts are riddled with spiritual abuse. Um, where when I say obey and see, obey and understand, obey and have revelation, obey and know what the will of God is. There are many of you that are hearing a legalistic letter <laughs> written on your heart. This is the obedience to one who who is delightfully in love with you, who is desperately in love with you. This is not obedience to a tyrant. 
This is what's, there is no tyrannical obedience being called for here when he says, throw the net on the other side. Are you hearing me? It's, um, this is, there's no lawful demand. There's no, this is um, a request of love. Do this because I want to put you in touch with me. I want you to have tangible relationship. I want you to experience my kingdom. And so will you do this? (laughs) Because I desire so much to be with you. I want you to experience, to have a wonderful encounter with me and experience this kingdom instead of that one. So will you do this? And I think that's how his voice tangibly comes to us. We must never write off mundane obedience because because it is what opens the door to us being able to participate, have the joy, all the benefits of his presence, his kingdom. We must never write off the mundane. Notice that I said it opens the door. Um, Notice that I did not say... um, to provide the kingdom. Do you know why? Because he already did that. He already said the kingdom is upon you. He already said I finished the work. He doesn't need to provide the kingdom. He already did that. It's already yours. The inheritance is fully yours. It is, it is this recognition of his presence and obedience to whatever his presence inspires that opens the door to moving, to living, occupying his kingdom. Do you got it? It's really, it's really that. Okay, verse seven, go with me to verse seven. I could talk about that all day, but let's, let's go ahead and do seven. Therefore, now listen, listen to the words. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. It'd be so easy to just read on, but oh, let's don't. (laughs) Lord, help me with this. Um, You have to understand, we're reading in the Gospel of John. That means that um, John John is... um, John's the author, okay, with inspired by the Holy Spirit. John's the author, and here it, it was a common writing style of their time. You got to kind of get this piece to understand where we're going. That um, you wouldn't speak in the first person. You would tell the narrative, and you would even speak of yourself as one in the narrative instead of in first person. You follow me? And that's exactly what we're reading here. Here it says, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, in other words, John, and in other words, him as the author, he's saying myself, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, we're just going to get all the gold out of this we can. Now, listen to me. Um, First of all, you're seeing the first moment of recognition. This is the first awareness of the present. What's happening here? This is John saying, I am aware of the presence of the Lord. But what I really want to focus on, we may hit that some more, but what I really want to focus on here is, um, is John's description of himself and what that speaks to us. John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now listen, I'm actually, um, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I knew I was going to do this. 
Um, he already told me. And so I'm just going to stop and do an exercise for all who care to participate. Um, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to do something right now. Okay. I want to, I want to do something that's going to make this practical. And so I'm just going to pray. And then you just go with me. Okay. You stay right there after we pray. Holy Spirit, we, in, we invite you in tangible presence right now. We know that your presence is always with us because you love us that much. And we invite you to do something right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to reveal the various ways that we think, that we imagine <laughs> our relationship with you. Thank you, Father. I know I didn't give you much time. I recommend you do more of this later, okay? And I'm going to move a little. I, I trust that he revealed things to many of you who sought it. Now, here's the thing. How, how do we see our relationship with Jesus? How do we identify ourselves in terms of how we're in relationship with Jesus? What kind of conversation do you have? about that reality. In other words, um, is your, is Jesus someone to you that is, um, always wishing you'd quit messing up? <laughs> is his relationship with you someone, do you imagine and you seek him from a place of believing that he's always hoping you would do better or what I made all kinds of notes here on this. He's glad you're in, but he's disappointed with your performance most of the time. <laughs> He sees you as an employee or a pawn. He needs you to do some things or else, or else you're really not all that useful. Um, are you consumed with hoping you could quit messing up so that you could be in more intimate relationship with Jesus? Is it like a game of Clue where his presence is elusive? And if I can just, <laughs> if I can just figure out how to find him. Okay, these are all ways that we could describe ourselves. Um, which disciple are you? Where if if you were imagining what disciple you were, I'm the one. I'm the one. What? Which disciple? How would you? And you were writing, or you were speaking to someone. How would you identify yourself? Now let's just return for a minute. <clears throat> Verse seven. Therefore, this is John describing himself. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. Or are you the disciple whom Jesus loved? Now I want to tell you, I want to tell you one more thing that opens the door to the kingdom so I can occupy here. I can be in the presence of Jesus instead of in the absence of it, in the awareness absence of his presence in the kingdom of the world. One door is knowing who you are. Knowing the truth about how he feels about you and what his presence offers to you. You see, it's so significant. Um, it's so significant that John, as a disciple of Jesus, if you ask him, how do you identify yourself? He says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Is that true for you? Now, listen, 
when I ask that question. I mean, that's true for you. (laughs) Okay, let me say that. That's true for you. The truth is, you can say, I'm the one. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. But that doesn't mean that you have that inheritance. Are you following me? That doesn't mean that that the way you approach your awakeness or your awareness of the relational presence of Jesus for you is a conversation that you have that says, I'm the one whom Jesus loved. It can be poisoned, tainted by by many, many things, by, by things out of our past, circumstances happening in, in your presence, in your present, I mean to say, that, are, that represent the character of Jesus. Whether it's lying about Jesus or telling the truth, um, there are many things that scream, that, that have you define what disciple of Jesus is you are. The door to the kingdom of God, the gate is Jesus. And that means that means for the gate to be open, for us to be aware of the presence of Jesus so that we forget not all of his benefits, including just the sweet presence of Jesus in our days is, is in this. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. In other words, what? It's in an accurate knowing of him. It's in a belief that is accurate about who he is because we know him that way. Do you describe yourself primarily as the one that he loves? I'm so, I'm so, you know, so much of my life, um, I struggle with this. In fact, I believe it is our struggle. I believe it is the enemy's attack on us. And he is ever calling us to know that we are the disciple whom he loves. That's our identity. That's who we are, child of God. Moses said, um, thousands of years earlier, Moses said, how else will they know that we're your people unless your presence is on us? It means we got to open the door to the presence we have to be the people that, that are so assured that I am the disciple that he loves, that the door to his presence is always open, even in our ordinary, even when we're just going fishing, we're just driving to the grocery store. What opens the door to his presence? Knowing, having assurance and knowing that I'm the disciple that he's completely delighted with. <clears throat> Just like that. You know, I'm walking through my yard the other day. I'm seeing we're in that season where the aspen buds are, um, they've been buds for a while, at least in my yard. It depends. You go to the neighbor's yard, you might, in the mountains here, you're seeing totally different set of circumstances. In my yard, the way the sun hits and everything, the the buds are busting into leaves. And it's it's one of my favorite times of the year. It's just that chartreuse color, them little baby leaves. And I'm looking at them saying, the aspen leaves are budding. I'm so loved. <laughs> I know it doesn't even seem like they're related, but in my spirit, I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit saying, it's because I love you. The, the buds are turning into leaves. And I'm, I'm just feeling his delight, thinking I'm so loved in the ordinary. I'm going to read on um, so I don't get too, too caught here because there's things we've just got to get to. It's just gold. Um, I'm continuing in verse seven. It says, now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Have you ever noticed that every time 
the presence of the Lord, uh, let's, let's say it like that. Every time Peter becomes aware of the presence of the Lord there with him, he ends up taking a swim. I'm going to tell you there's a reason for this, and, and we're going to look at it kind of briefly, but you know, there's other people in the boat. He's not the only one in the boat. There's six other guys, but he's the one who takes a swim. Now, the other thing I want you to notice is that they've fished all night. They've had no success the awareness of the presence of the Lord comes upon it, which puts the, the blessing, the success in it. Why? It took it from the realm, the realm of the kingdom of this world, and it moves it to the realm of the spiritual kingdom, his kingdom. That's why. That puts the success, that's the only thing that puts the success in it. Go ahead and write that down. <laughs> Are you trying to make something succeed? You need the presence. You need it moved from the kingdom of this world to having the blessing of Jesus on it in his to move it into the kingdom of his world. So, okay, but here's what I'm talking about. They fished all night, they've failed. The presence comes, he blesses it by speaking. Their obedience agrees with him and moves it into the other kingdom. They have success. Peter jumps in the water. <laughs> I, the humor is just unbelievable. In other words, now they finally have a full net and he suddenly doesn't care whatsoever what's in the net. <laughs> that doesn't even, you can't even make, make sense of that unless you recognize that there is nothing besides the presence for Peter. John is the disciple who's so sure that he's the one, I'm the one, Jesus loves, that he is able to open the door. He's able to have recognition of Jesus. So he declares it to Peter, and Peter jumps in the water. Why? He's going to get to the presence. <laughs> You're not going to stop him. Everything else ceased to matter. The other sick, now read on with me. You, you, uh, I'm being moved in the spirit right now, but this is funny. So if you find yourself laughing, you just go ahead. I'll cry. You laugh. We'll have a good time as we're gathered together. Okay. <laughs> Verse eight goes on and says, but the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits. That's 300 feet, unless you're wondering. So about 300 feet dragging the net with the fish. Are, are you catching this? Peter, um, <laughs> Peter could give a hoot about the performance or the perfection of all of these efforts. All he cares about is the presence. He leaves the other six. I don't know if you've ever rowed a small rowboat. It literally says they're in a small boat dragging a bursting full net of fish. And, you know, we could move on. And the next sentence in this passage, would we would read it immediately next. But I've got to tell you, if you've ever rowed a rowboat, it means that they, in other words, it could say, they worked their butt off for the next 30 minutes to drag in a net. <laughs> it, you can translate it that way. It, it works. It, trust me. But not Peter. Okay, so the other six are are sweating and working it, probably fighting waves and wind. This is real. They're, they're in a real sea outside in a rowboat. <laughs> you see, you see, listen to me. It's the heart that says I have to get into the presence of God. <laughs> you just give me a little awareness of the presence of God at a distance and there's nothing going to stop me from closing the distance. <laughs> I'm going to get right in the center of it. 
the others are still a little bit worried about their catch. And that's okay. I don't even mean, you know, we all, we all have our walks. I don't even mean that like it's a bad thing. The Lord just provided fish. They're going to bring it in. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Verse nine says, then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish, which you've just caught. The humor just doesn't stop. Listen to me, this, this passage is so loaded with practicalities that allow us, that, that make it tangible to get into the presence of God. So now, now listen to me. The presence is with you. It's your awareness. It's just about your awareness. He delights in you so much, he promised to never leave you. But what do you actually believe? <laughs> do we have the learning curve? Do we have the, the I'm going to call it skills, have we walked in such a way that we are increasing our ability to ever reside in this kingdom instead of that one in the presence of Jesus? Okay, so so here we are. Here's what we read. I'm just going to read that again. Um, I'm just kind of full of it today, so I, I'm, I'm tracking here and there. Okay, verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. In other words, Jesus has already prepared breakfast with everything that's needed for it. <laughs> it's important to notice that, but now watch this funny sentence. Then what he says next is bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Even though he's already provided breakfast with everything that's needed for it. Now listen to me, isn't it that way? First of all, you notice he says fish which you've just caught. Do you not hear this thing about our spiritual gifts? And um, I've even said it. So um, just count me in the number. Um, often we say things like, um, well, my gifts aren't mine. Okay, and I understand the sentiment. I get it. My gifts aren't mine. You know, they're, they're given by God. They're, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. And, um, and he gives the gift. Okay, but let me tell you something. God doesn't give gifts. He doesn't give inheritance so that he can hang on to it. He, <laughs> do you hear me? He does. He gives gifts because he wants them to be yours. Um, he's not a shallow giver. He gave you yourself, everything beautiful and powerful and strong and amazing about you because he meant for you to have it, not because he wanted to hang on to it. Do you hear me? And so you see that in this story. They, they would not have those fish unless he provided them, right? But what does he say? He says, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Even though we don't really need him, there's already cold, there's everything we need, but he wants to offer the joy of our participation in what he's doing. Come make a con contribution to what I'm already cooking. Now, you can't make up a metaphor like that. Only Jesus can. Jesus says, I'm already working. I'm already cooking things. I'm already moving across the globe. And I've given you some things. I've given you bursting nets, whether you're aware of it or not. I'm perfectly capable and do all the time give you things so that you have a contribution. I got stuff. You have things. Um, he's got things. You at home. You, you've, he's given you gifts, blessings, talents, brilliance, um, artistic expression. He's given you endless things, right? And you know this, and, and they are yours. He means for you to bring a contribution. Why? Because he needs it, and he doesn't need it. He's already cooking, and he's got, he's got everything provided, 
Isn't this how he is? But he delights in you, and he's given it to you on purpose so you can come have the joy of making the contribution. Now watch what happens. That's not even the coolest part. Watch what happens next. Verse 9. Then, uh, let me see. Did I? No, okay, verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, I'm going to read this again. They saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Now listen to me. It's, <laughs> you probably missed it. I know because I did the first 10,000 times I read this passage in my life. So let's get this straight. The presence of Jesus shows up. As is his custom, Peter goes for a swim. The other six work hard to bring in the catch. And then he doesn't, Peter doesn't care about that. All he cares about is getting in the presence. <laughs> and, uh, and so now the catch is in. And now Jesus speaks, hey, bring some of that contribution to what I'm already cooking. And Peter is the one who grabs the net and drags it up to make the contribution. Thanks for bringing that in for me, guys. <laughs> I was busy getting in the presence, but now the Lord has spoken. He would like some of those fish. I'm in. Do you see it? <laughs> I just picture the other disciples going, hey, wait a second. Uh, I, I just worked to bring that in. You can think of other passages that, passages that say one plants and another brings in the harvest. You go, hey, wait a second. Right. Um, but what I want you to notice is um, a humorous side. You are seeing the heart of Peter. That is just all about the words of Jesus. Cast the net over there. Okay. I, I guarantee you he sensed that heartburn that we talked about. I don't, I'm not claiming he had the recognition yet, or he probably would have been going for a swim, but he sensed a burn. There was something that drew him to the obedience. He threw the net over there. They caught the fish. Now he's aware of the presence of Jesus. He goes for a swim. Are you following me? Now Jesus speaks, make a contribution to what I'm cooking. He's the one who grabs it and drags it over. You can't make that up. It's amazing. These guys are still friends with him. <laughs> I have amazing people like that around me that put up with me no matter how abandoned, no matter how crazy my abandon is, no matter what thing I do that is just presence focused. I know this doesn't make sense, what I'm asking us to do. I know this isn't practical, but yeah, I mean, on a good day, right? I'm, I'm tracking with you. It's not always this way. On a good day, I'm just, I'm going into the presence. I'm not asking you. And, and uh, we just have such amazing people in this church that that share that same heart. Okay, it doesn't make sense to me either. Let's go in the presence. Are you tracking with me? Let's increase our awareness that he delights in us like this, that his presence is always here. Lord, make me awake so I can hear your words, so I can have the tangible experience of having breakfast with you. And that's what we do. That, that's what they say next. Um, just next, verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Boy, that's profound. <laughs> the most profound words of Jesus. I'd like to have breakfast with you. Yet none of, this, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Do you hear how peculiar that is? 
Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Now listen, listen to those words. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? In other words, what? There's something very, very different about, about Jesus. About the poet, there's a learning curve. There's something about, about the fully spirit full spiritual, the full authority, the one who sat down at the right hand of God, who's conquered everything, when that presence comes among us, this is identifying, I'm just go read those words, meditate on those words. There's something about the presence of Jesus that requires becoming awake to it, having a recognition of the presence of God that makes it available, that opens the door for us. Or, or you wouldn't have strange words like that. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Notice it also identifies for us, that it says that they knew he was the Lord. And yet the peculiarity of that statement tells us that, that that's a special ability. I mean, there's something going on <laughs> that would that would justify, I hope I'm doing a good job, that would justify these strange words to illustrate for us that it is real, that we, we become, in our journey, we become a people who know that it's the Lord despite the fact that it's not just blatantly obvious in this physical, that this, this is him. It's you, isn't it, Lord? You're the ones I love, not the ones that I need performance from. <laughs> and it ends, verse 14. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's during this season of 40 days. Um, you know, go to verse 20 with me. I'm going to begin wrapping here because I, I'm not even sure what yet, but I think the Lord wants to offer more time. Um, verse 20, and, and I'm not repeating. This is one of those times where I usually get confused because you're hearing the same words again. And, and as I'm teaching, I'm like, wait a second, did I, am I reading in the wrong place? It's stated again here in verse 20. Then Peter, <laughs> turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, in other words, John, who's the author of this book, following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? D are you catching it? I hope you're catching it now without me even telling you. In other words, here, the author, the author here, John, John is giving us various identifiers of himself. He's in that third person way. He's identifying himself, saying, then, then Peter, so he, he's writing, He's talking about Peter as saying, saw me, but he doesn't write it that way. He says, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> He's, um, I hope and pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is just going out. I mean, even right now, as I, as I kind of dwindle on this, as I kind of relax on this word of God. Are you one saying, I'm the one. <laughs> Would you identify yourself that way? It's the door. It goes on. Uh, it goes on in, in verse 21. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? In other words, what about John? 
(laughs) And Jesus said to him, you know, oh, and I know what I did. I know what I need to tell you. I did purposely skip verses um, 15 to 19. So if some of you were confused, like, whoa, you're missing. It was on purpose. Um, I think we're going to go back to that coming up um, probably next week. We'll see how the Lord leads. But I, I wanted to have time to, to finish this out. So um, if you're having confusion, it's that. Um, goes on, and, and Jesus said to him, um, so Peter is asking, what about this guy? What about John? And this is Jesus' response. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, we did skip a part that would make some of that make sense, but here's what I want you to grab. Peter is doing a comparison thing with other disciples. And actually, he's, he's picked a really silly person to do the comparison thing with. I just got to put it out there because John is the one who identifies himself as the one Jesus loved. <laughs> Are you tracking? You can't make that up. And in this same narrative, um, he's trying to compare himself to him. And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You have your intimate relationship with me. You, you have your own relationship with me. Don't worry about my plans for him, how I meet with him, what I think of him. Yeah, I have a feeling Jesus is thinking he knows exactly what I think of him. And that's why it's recorded like this. He knows that he's the disciple I love. And I need to stop and pray for a minute because I had so many, so many things, so many good things. And I just want to know, we're not going to do them all. I just want to know if we're wrapping or which one. Okay, yes, yes. We're, we're going to do it. Um, yeah, we're not going to miss it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to go back today. Go back to verse 15. Now we're going back in the narrative that causes Peter to start doing this comparison thing. Okay, and I'm going to start reading. I'm going to go through it fast because I really just want to show you one thing. Okay, in verse 15, it says, so when they had eaten breakfast... Okay, so Okay, so note this. Jesus planned a breakfast. A very very ordinary life thing because he wanted to have intimate interaction with the ones that he loves. John knows it. He identifies himself that way. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. We could dig this apart, but we won't. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he responds, yes, Lord, um, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then he says a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now listen, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. 
But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And listen, he left it that simple. But there's only one reason I'm reading this. Yeah, um, uh, we could do all kinds of, there's all kinds of gold here. But I, I just want you to get this one thing, okay? Um, Jesus wanted to have this intimate, re, um, intimate, practical, tangible conversation with Peter, just like he does with you. If you struggled with that, pray about it. He wants to have these conversations with you. And, and here's why. You can look out there and you can find um, scholar research and, and argue, debate. let's not call it argument, let's call it debate <laughs> over why three times and boy, what's going on there? And I, I just want to um, shine a light on this, okay? Um, you, you, many of you probably already noted that Peter is the one who denied him three times. And many, many scholar, biblical scholars, they recognize this, that, okay, Peter denied him three times and, um, and Jesus, um, three times asks him, do you love me? Now I'm going to tell you, we miss this. And, and here's the thing. Here's the, that's great. That's a great scholarly thing to note, um, Congratulations to me and everyone who knows that. <laughs> I'm far more interested in the presence. So, so listen, here's the thing. This is a <clears throat> this is a healing conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you anything that's ever happened to you that is a barrier to your coming into the presence, to you occupying this kingdom instead of that one, because Jesus wants you always to be in his presence. He wants you to be awake, aware, enjoying all the benefits of who he is because of your intimate relationship. He is more deeply concerned with your healing in the places that have created barriers to his presence than he is with anything in the entire universe. You're the one that he loves. He is so deeply concerned. Why three times? There was, do you know that those denials, these circumstances, the temptation of the enemy, these most horrible moments of Peter's life that he now remembers, that now create, create lies and barriers about that lie about not only identity, the identity of God, but lie about Peter to Peter, lie to Peter about Peter, about who he is. You know that he struggles with this. He is in, he is um, fully in touch with his past failure, with, with who he loves more than it. he is totally aware of his love for Jesus. And he is equally aware. These are some of the most significant moments of his life when he has those failures, when he falls to temptation and denies the one he loves, he carries that. You know that he does. And this is not Jesus going, I just want to make sure you're in, Peter. <laughs> that is not what this story is. This is Jesus saying, I so deeply love you that I care about the wounding that is your barrier to my presence. I so deeply care about that more than anything else that I'm going to go, I'm going to go all the way. It's the heart 
of the prodigal father. It's the heart that says, I'm going to do everything necessary to be more powerful, not, not equal to, more powerful than the wounds that lie, than, than the things that steal my presence from you, my intimacy and my relationship with you. He is deeply concerned <laughs> he is deeply concerned with meeting you in your barriers, your walls. He wants to open the gate to his presence. And this is a healing conversation. Why does he do it three times? Because Peter denied three times. Now listen to me. Peter needed three times healing to know like John did. I'm the one. I'm the one he loves. I better stop just to close. Okay. Just to close, just pray with me. Okay. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for miracle right now. Miracle in your heart. Okay. Do you want that? Do you agree with me? If you agree with me, let's do this together. Holy spirit. We thank you for that love. Thank you for your presence. I thank you I, that you are the God that I know you are the healing God. You're the providing God. You're the God that delights in me. I'm the one. <laughs> I thank you that you delight in everyone who's gathered with us right now, wherever, wherever they are. Holy Spirit, send your presence. Send the presence of your voice that says to every one of them, you're the one. You can start identifying yourself as the one. You're the disciple that he loves. Will you just speak that into hearts right now, Jesus? And Jesus, if there's someone listening who's never known your touch like that, they've never had relationship with you like that, I ask that you would bring them into your presence, into your kingdom right now, never to go back, that they get, uh, they get their deliverance from the world and the deliverance from their past failure in the name of Jesus. If that was you, you could just say right now, I accept, I receive that, Lord. I accept your invitation to come into you right now. And Lord, I ask that you would release, release the lies of our past. I'm asking for a spirit of healing in the name of Jesus, that you're going out into homes and, and cars, into little earbuds. <laughs> Through TVs, your presence is going out and you're touching places where people are fully in touch with their failure. It's okay. If he's putting you in touch with a place of your failure, just let him do it. It just means he wants to touch it. And we are, Lord, we ask that you would speak words right now, right over the top. You're binding up. You're mending, you're healing, and we thank you for that. Let him, let him speak words. Let him provide a touch, however he wants to, in whatever way he wants to right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We receive your words. I'm the one. I'm the disciple that you love. Amen.